Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where providing personalized, highly skilled, and compassionate spine care has been our specialty for over 75 years. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakya. Part of my podcast over the last year has been to bring to you guys all sorts of approaches to help with your back pain and your injury. And now that I'm a board-certified specialist in integrative medicine, in addition to my board certification in physiatry, I'm really hoping over the next few months to bring some different ideas to help you look at when you're trying to address your symptoms. Pain in particular can be very challenging particularly when we discuss medication approaches. As many of you know, a lot of the medicines that we prescribe as physicians uh, do carry with them some side effects and some difficulties. During my integrative medicine fellowship, one of the things that I was really fascinated with studying was the field of herbalism or herbology or botanical medicine. And it really unlocked and opened up a door to a whole new universe of options potentially Uh, that are worth having a conversation about. Today, I'm very pleased to bring to you an interview with uh, John Slattery, and he is the founder of Desert Tortoise Botanicals. And we're going to have a nice conversation today about botanical medicine and maybe dive into some pearls and options uh, that you may want to consider on your path to wellness. So John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sanjeev. Pleasure to be here with you. Okay, so let me go ahead and introduce you to our listeners. John is a bioregional herbalist, He's dedicated to helping people develop deep and meaningful relationships with wild plants. His work has been widely influenced by indigenous plant healers from throughout the Americas, herbalist Michael Moore, and most importantly, the plants and wild places of the Sonoran Desert and the broader bioregion of the Southwest United States. He founded Desert Tortoise Botanicals, a bioregional herbal products company in Tucson, Arizona in 2005, in order to bring his wild-harvested plant medicines to the people of the Southwest, and Desert Forager, a prickly pear-focused forage foods company, in 2014. He founded the Sonoran Herbalist Apprenticeship Program in 2010, and John is a practicing herbalist. He's an educator, an author, and a forager. His first book, Southwest Foraging, was released in 2016 on Timber Press, and his second book, Southwest Medicinal Plants, was released in February of 2020. In addition to studying the history of oaks and acorns across the world and how this ties into the ancient earth-based civilizations of the Northern Hemisphere, some of John's current passions include bringing the concepts and principles of bioregional herbalism to a wider audience, visiting ancient sacred sites, and studying the wisdom passed down from the ancient cultures who built or occupied these places. So you guys can find out more about his work at www.johnslattery.com. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes. And follow him on Instagram at John J. Slattery Herbalist or his YouTube channel. So that's a really good introduction to some of the work that you've been doing. And I, of course, encountered your work during my fellowship training where you had some wonderful videos that kind of walked the physicians through herbal medicine, how you make tinctures and salves and some of the principles that go into it. So why don't you start a little bit by 
kind of informing people how you got into this uh, line of work and this passion. Yeah, that in fact is pretty long story and a long and winding road, but I'll I'll distill it in in a short of uh, presentation as possible. In that I didn't set myself up on a trajectory to quote become an herbalist. I found myself in situations in life where I was becoming exposed, increasingly exposed to plant medicine and people of the earth, as I refer to them, that work with plants for healing, and then taking me under my wing, under their wing, to to show me their ways. So it was more comprehensive than just you know this herb is good for that, and, and you apply you know these herbs to this conditions, but. And we were gathering herbs from the wild, and they were showing me really a way of developing relationship with nature. And so that that has come into you know create the foundation for what I call bioregional herbalism. And um, you know these were all indigenous peoples from Southwest U.S. all the way down into Brazil when I traveled over 20 years ago for for over a year through this you know, through the extent of the Americas. And uh, didn't necessarily have an idea to create this, but upon reflection, what I had been through, I realized that they were all teaching me about becoming a bioregional herbalist in, in the way that I, in the way that I've labeled it. But really, another simple way is developing relationship with plants as a person of the earth. So that has gone. That has contributed tremendously into how I use herbs for medicine, and has uh, helped create a perspective and cosmology, if you will, on how I apply herbs and look for imbalances within the individual. One of the things I've noticed about individuals that I come across who are into this space is exactly what you just mentioned. There there seems to be a story where the individual also not just learns about plants and what X, you know, plant can help for in terms of conditions, but the cultural aspect that goes with it, and you use the word developing a relationship, it's so different than traditional pharmaceutical medicine, which is very reductionist, also very useful and uh, helpful for millions of people. But talk a little bit to people about, in your perspective, the difference between herbalism and uh, pharmaceutical uh, development. Like, Kind of give us a little contrast of how you see it. Hmm. Yeah, I think fundamentally it's a leveraging of widely available assets that have been distilled down into a finer substance via technology. And then there's a bit of mystique that's wrapped around them. And there's, uh, I'm speaking, of course, of pharmaceuticals in this case. There's a mystique that's wrapped around them through the arcane language of the practitioners that's unreachable by the vast majority of people that even take them for decades. And um, this has happened as a consequence of people losing touch and losing connection with the world around them because they can't recognize or identify you know, a handful of plants from their yard that their ancestors would have taken on a regular basis as a food or a medicine that supported the you know, function of their organs or relieved simple ailments or provided much-needed nutrients. And so in the absence of all that, there's a piece within the individual. Now they're more susceptible to being placated by grandiose ideas that would promise to cure them. And we both know that, you know, one of the leading causes of injury and death in in this country is properly prescribed 
over-the-counter and prescription medications and procedures. So there's a tremendous amount of risk that is underplayed. And of course, the risk of herbs is dramatically or sensationally dramatically overplayed. More people arguably die of chronic illness due to what's in the center aisles of the grocery store than you know anyone is injured, even injured by herbal medicine. So I think there's a huge chasm between pharmaceutical medicine and herbal medicine in terms of safety and accessibility to the average person who is uneducated at the level of institutional education, but unfortunately has also lost the education that they had through simple practices and life ways that were connected to the earth. I recommend often both. I do a lot of prescription writing in the world of spine care and acute pain. Sometimes nothing's better than a prednisone burst pack. But I will tell you, I think this is a, an important conversation to have because people are seeking alternatives, whether their physicians are recommending them or not. And from an accessibility perspective, it's very easy to go online or go to your store and buy some sort of botanical product. And I think what needs to happen is increased education of both providers and the lay public about how to use them appropriately, which is why I'm thrilled to have you on today. You know, the other thing that I, I think is a difference that I've at least observed, when you study cultural medicine, like let's say traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, or even uh, Western botanical medicine, it appears to me that the plants, when prescribed properly, or at least the, the formulas within the formula or within the whole plant, there seems to be constituents that are just naturally there that offset side effects that we don't see when we isolate a chemical, concentrate and prescribe it. So for example, like in a traditional Chinese medicine formula, there may be one or two key ingredients, let's say, to um, help with pain, but there may be also one or two herbs that help offset any nausea. Mm. So you don't get the, so that like the whole is greater than the individual in that respect. Do you observe that as well when you're putting together um, recommendations or looking at different plants to help people out? Yeah, that can certainly be a consideration in formulation. Uh, that's a reason to formulate is to balance out the ingredients to be able to deliver the particular medicine that an herb carries, yet mitigate a potential risk or threat to, to use, use a word that uh, is maybe a bit overstated there, but to minimize harm, you know, to soften the formula. That's a way to um, look at formulation. I don't know how much of the formulation in commerce is oriented that way outside of maybe, yeah, traditional Chinese medicine by and large, as you brought up. But there are many things that contribute to a formula. And another is what they call synergy, you know, synergistic effects, which I think you might have been hinting on initially as you spoke, that it's more than the sum of its parts. And when you bring certain herbs together, they can amplify their individual effects. One of the things that I, I had set up to share with you is, is relates to that idea. And there's a concept in Western medicine, Western herbal medicine of a diffusive. And a diffusive is an herb that helps move things out towards the surface. And that could be, that could be witnessed as increased blood flow. So if someone is palpably cold and then uh, upon ingesting this diffusive as an individual herb or as part of a formula. Now they develop warmth and blood flow. 
So with different types of pain conditions, that can be very useful depending on what is the, for me, it's more as a vitalist, I like to see what's the underlying root cause of this pain. I want to hear the person's story. I want to understand what's happening in their life or what was happening in their life leading up to the episodes of pain, what has continued to happen. Oftentimes, as we speak somewhat casually about this, but also somewhat pointedly, it'll start to bubble up to the surface, you know, what what it is there for them that's really paining them. And so because the body and the mind are, I believe, inextricably linked, uh, the so-called placebo effect is actually extremely powerful, meaning that, you know, how we hold our mind in waveform within our body uh, consolidates into particle form into the tissue. And so whether it's fear or uh, some sort of emotional injury, trauma from birth throughout childhood, that will allow uh, repeated pain to surface. And for me with herbs, as an herbalist, what I've learned working with plants. So this is this is where I really draw a distinction between bioregional herbalism and, and herbalism in that I'm not relating to bottles on a shelf or words on a page primarily. A lot of my students, I introduce them to the plants. I don't even tell them what the name of the plant is. We'll meet the plant in situ in its natural environment maybe even to ingest some of it directly from the plant or a preparation that I've made, and I still don't tell them what that is. So their impression of it is their you know, sensorial impression, all aspects of their being. So there's something that can be transmitted to each individual that is unique, but it relates to the nature of that plant is how I like to put it. So sometimes what I'm getting around to saying, trying to say somewhat concisely, uh, it's a broad topic that I realize not many people are, are very acquainted with, this nature of plants. But uh, in the way that a nature of a plant resonates with the nature of an individual, it can allow for opening and release in their physical tissue as a consequence of where that resonance meets, such that they can, such that a, a healing experience can be facilitated within their physical body. That may sound a little bit metaphysical, and I think it is. But it's also observable and you know, it's something that people physically experience in what I witness. There's no doubt the longer I'm in the field of dealing with people who have pain and injury, that there is a mind-body connection and correlation. And in fact, I had a conversation with Dr. David Schechter uh, where he has talked about and put together some uh, materials on the mind-body connection. And he put together a 30-day journal workbook that people can basically process their emotions while they're going through treatment. And we'll link to that episode in the show notes as well for those of you who, hmm. who haven't heard it, but he's done a terrific job. And, and I think it speaks to what you're talking about. And I came across this as well um, in our fellowship training. One uh, urban particular, I think it was when we were talking about our doing our cardiovascular module when we talked about Hawthorne. And uh, one of our uh, professors mentioned that this also can be, in addition to like the medical benefits, a low dose can be used to help, quote, kind of open the heart when people have grief. And, you know, those types of clinical pearls are just fascinating because we don't have those in traditional Western um, pharmacology. At least it's not spoken about uh, directly. So th that part is very intriguing to a provider that if there are tools uh, that are safe, and have clinical benefit and can treat the mind and body as it's connected, I think that's definitely worth exploring. 
I have a quick anecdotal story for you on that. So one of the things I do, as I mentioned, I'll take my students out and we'll meet a plant. I have it often prearranged. Sometimes we just stumble upon it. But in this case, it was prearranged and we were going to go sit with this plant. And I passed around the tincture and I had an idea of its effects, but it's also learning for me because I see how they respond. And then as close to a double blind study as I'm going to be able to do with herbs in this way. So they know nothing about it. In fact, this herb, I understand uh, through some research that was done in Southern California, uh, it's our native chia. It has properties, has compounds that are similar to Danshen, Salvia, uh, Militariza, Red Sage in China. They've, thousands of pages have been written on this book. If you have uh, certain hospitals in China, you go in with acute myocardial infarction, they will give you injections of compounds of this plant. And so apparently there was a story in Southern California amongst the Kawaisu or Kawia Indians that there was a plant that brought people back from the dead. And somehow these researchers, I don't know this part of the story, managed to put together that it might be Salvia columbari, our native chia. And so they grew it and then made a preparation of the root and examined it. And they found these same cryptotanchinones and tanchinones present in the preparation. So... I read that and I said, okay, I want to try chia in this regard. And I made a tincture out of it from what I gathered in the wild. And here was an opportunity with my students. So I brought the tincture along. I said, just take two to five drops. So we sat in meditation with it. And half just so happened that one of my students, uh, she was probably in her mid to late 50s at the time. And she had had open heart surgery about three or four years prior. And so she took the drops of the tincture this is mostly done in quiet. Sometimes I'll be giving them feedback as we go along to help guide them, but mostly done in quiet. And I could see at some point that after she had taken it, she started to get teary-eyed. And uh, I could see her putting her hand in front of her chest. And then afterwards, I didn't lead it at all. I just said, you know, if you guys have anything to share, please let me know. Uh, what was it like for you? And she started touching her chest again and said, you know, I haven't felt anything in my chest since I had my surgery. So when you talk about the subtle effects of that gentle touch of the herb, its resonance, its nature, that's something that pharmaceuticals will never be able to do. It's not a biochemical. I think that is a very eye-opening moment, I think, for an open-minded researcher. Absolutely. <laughs> fact, that bi biochemical reactions is not the whole deal. And so if not, then what is? What else is happening? I think we really open it. If we really look at that with open eyes, we look at tremendous more you know, expansive possibility, tremendously more expansive possibilities about how we can heal or restore wholeness within ourselves. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's definitely, at least for me, it, it makes me say, what's that all about? For some, it may be, oh, that sounds strange. But I think as we ask good questions, will only expand our knowledge base. Having said that, let me pick your brain though and dive into some more options, considerations on the physical plane, so to speak. I have a couple of maybe kind of typical cases mm. that I encounter. And again, if you're listening, I'm bringing you John's expertise for informational purposes only. Definitely, before you take action, make sure you work with your healthcare provider on any treatment or anything that you come across on the internet or on a podcast. But let's let's go into some common things. So obviously, I am the back talk doc, so I see a lot of people with back pain. And I like to break it down 
kind of pick your brain a little bit. And um, folks, you can take notes, but we'll put these in the show notes as he gives us his thoughts. There are basically two categories. And again, when we talk about back pain, I'm talking about like orthopedic related back pain, not not back pain from an ominous condition, an infection or something of that nature. But basically acute back pain, uh, the average middle-aged dad who's lived in a box in his basement and strains his back on a Saturday and shows up in the office on a Tuesday and can't stand up straight and he's popping ibuprofen. And then uh, the second category, which unfortunately is probably more prevalent in this society, it's just kind of age-related chronic degenerative back pain. And in that category in particular, John, we have a scarcity of good options for people, particularly from a medication perspective. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know you have people who consult you for just different recommendations. So, Yeah, thanks for presenting it in that way, because as you know, back pain is a pretty wide gamut. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm happy to hear what's, what's more of a challenge for you in, in your line of work. So I think for what I understood about your first case, I'll say that gentle and slow, I think, is, is the best way to approach it, in my opinion. That's maybe not where people want to go sometimes. You know, they want something quick and they want to get back to work. And I think that would be my greatest challenge in helping communicate to them that this is not something you may, may necessarily change overnight because it didn't happen. Or it didn't, even though they perceived it to have happened in a split second, it was cumulative, yep. right? So uh, I would imagine you have all sorts of tools and tricks, so to speak, uh, within your office uh, in a way to coax the body back into a relaxed state. You know, I, I created some salves based on what other herbalists had done, uh, Michael Moore, primarily one of my main teachers, and also what I could find in my local environment. So I have three basic salves that I use for pain, and they've been so effective by and large that I haven't bothered experimenting with other things. But I basically have two that bring warmth, and one brings more, a greater degree of warmth than the other. So in other words, I'm looking to increase blood flow. Okay. And I see when someone is, you know, like you said, living in a box, there's lack of movement. There's perpetual lack of movement in their body. So they're developing a cold condition in their body. They're not moving their musculature. Their lymph system isn't moving, therefore. And any number of things could be contributing to that acute onset of pain. But I know that if I can bring more uh, fluidity into the area and warmth, they stand a better chance of not further injuring themselves or exacerbating that injury, you know, that, that tissue that got, you know, twisted, torqued just enough to where they're really noticing it. But it was like they yeah, were walking on a crumbling cliff edge, likely up to that point anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, use, I use two salves. One is my Arnica Muscle Balm. Arnica is a traditional herb from Europe, but we have native species in North America uh, that, along with St. John's wort and calendula, and to some extent yarrow, was used for all sorts of injuries, open wound injuries, uh, closed injuries, uh, bruises, breaks, sprains, and so forth. Uh, so I, I like Arnica in its ability to help restore organization within the tissue once there's been some twisting and in, in breakage and disruption. And then the cayenne I add in there so the cayenne can be 
bringing enhanced blood flow. In fact, mm. if you if you put that salve on and you're out in the sun and you're moving and you're sweating a little bit, it'll burn. So you have a counter irritant effect that you know is not unlike the the multitude of capsaicin ointments that are on the shelf. Yeah. I haven't often been expected that that was going to resolve someone's pain, but I can't tell you how many times it did, at least for a time period, time uh, for a certain time period. And now I have another another salve that I make that is a little bit more for I consider it colder and that it numbs out acute sharp pain. And just coincidentally, I've had people I've given that to that they've continued their mechanical movements that exa- aggravated it and exacerbated it in the first place, the lifting of boxes at their work or whatever. But, you know, in this case uh, that I'm thinking of, it was a carpal tunnel situation. And so they had a lot of tension around based to the cervical spine. I told them, even though they had pain in their wrist, I said, rub it around the cervical spine, you'll start to get relief. And sure enough, they did. And he said, you know what, it's become less and less, even though I'm doing the same thing. So there's a lot that we could say about there. I, I think in some regards, the herbs can help dispel the accumulated tension and pressure that's building onto the pinge, impinged tissues. Talk a little bit about, maybe if you can expand on Arnica a little bit. It's it's widely um, available in different formulas. Let's say at CVS or Walgreens, you can go in and get a homeopathic Arnica vial with little pellets. Tramiel is a well-known, um, widely used kind of topical ointment that's been out there for a while. And in fact, that company used to used to offer Tramiel solution that you could do injections with. And I would pair that some with lidocaine for like trigger point shots and things. But I, I believe that's no longer available. But mm. help us understand a little bit to your knowledge about how Arnica works. Is it an anti-inflammatory? Yeah, that's that's a little bit hard for me to say, to be honest. And, you know, I think, frankly, I think it's all theory. Okay. And um, I don't really have a good theory that's formulated within my framework to speak clearly on that. But what Michael Moore, again, my my primary teacher in herbalism had stated years ago is that it helps rearrange disorganized tissue. So if you twist an ankle and now you've got all kinds of interstitial fluid mm-hmm. mingling with torn you know, connective tissue, it helps resolve that really well. They would say pain on movement. Okay. Arnica is very good for pain on movement. In this case, where I combine it with cayenne and, and a few essential oils, it seems to do really well for sore back muscles. Yeah, excellent. And so I think that here's back to your point previously about combining herbs in certain ways helps to expand the useful. I wouldn't rely so much on just Arnica for back pain, an Arnica salve, but combining with the cayenne and the essential oils, not to say if I just did cayenne and essential oils, it would do the same thing. I think the Arnica does contribute, but I think it contributes a lot more once I've combined it with a relatively small amount of cayenne. About the homeopathic version of Arnica, I've worked with that in the past. It's actually a dilution of what I would make in the field of tincture of arnica or an oil infusion. Oil infusion is primarily what I use, and that's for the salves. But the homeopathic is going to be, the philosophy is that it becomes more potentized as it becomes diluted, you know, by 100, 1,000, 10,000, and so forth. In my personal experience, I haven't witnessed a whole lot of benefit from the arnica 
homeopathics versus the, the so-called mother tincture or the mother oil, as it were. In fact, one anecdotal story I have is a, a neighbor had, had twisted her ankle and she was she was laid up for a couple of days and I went to visit them and she told me that she was taking Arnica and I said, oh, okay, what, what kind of Arnica? And she showed me the, the pills, the little milk sugar yeah. tablets, homeopathic tablets. And I said, okay, I've got, I want you to try something. So when I make an Arnica oil, I press it out after the, you know, the herb has been sitting in the oil. And this is Arnica that I gather from the mountains myself. I've never used anything else. And that's, that's really hard to find in the marketplace. I'll come back. There's another comment I want to make about that. But when I press it out, I save the herb. I take the oil and then make the salve, but I save the herb to use as a poultice because it's, I find it so valuable. So I said, here, this has already been extracted, but I want you to try it out and we'll warm it up in a steamer tray and then apply the herb directly to the skin with a cloth over it. And she was up and walking around that night after doing that treatment. Wow. You know, night and day compared to topical or internal homeopathics. And that's something that's already been extracted. So I, I have a great deal of faith in, in Arnica topically for injuries. Okay, so let's pivot. Let's say that that same individual, we apply uh, the salve and his back pain is better, but it develops into more of a nerve pain, maybe like a sciatic pain down the lake. Uh, You mentioned St. John's wort, and I know there's some others. What's kind of in your brain, your go-tos when someone's got some nerve pain, whether it's down the leg or a carpal tunnel, shingles pain, those types of things. Those are very, very difficult for people to deal with. Yeah. And fortunately, but unfortunately, I was one who dealt with sciatica in in the past such that I was completely bedridden for a week and had to crawl around. uh, So I know what that type of sciatic pain is like. And that's actually when I made my first tincture uh, almost 20 years ago, prickly poppy. Michael Moore wrote about prickly poppy. It's in the poppy family and it's a wild plant in our area. So, and I have it on my website. We use it also for um, menstrual pain. But it showed promise, perhaps, for people with sciatica. I took some of it internally and didn't seem to help my sciatica at all. And there's other members of the poppy family uh, or related families, California poppy. Actually, those are the two herbs, prickly poppy and California poppy, that are in my nerve sedating salve, which is something that I might use when there is a sharp pointed pain that seems to be involving nerves. That was the, the same salve that I gave to the friend who had the issue with the carpal tunnel. And then another herb that I might use, there's a lot more I can say about this herb. I'm trying to be concise, but Corey Dallas was once part of the poppy family. I feel like it has a greater breadth of how it it deals, helps an individual deal with pain. If the individual is willing to collaborate with their body through their mind, it's like the Corey Dallas gives the mind uh, an enhanced vehicle to permeate the pain and to get around it or get underneath it such that they do not perceive the pain anymore. It's an interesting thing that I've only witnessed with Corey Dallas, but as I say, someone who's motivated or connected through their awareness of their body and they have a more active participation with that pain, not just, I just wanted the switch shut off, but you know, they would be excited to gain this ally that could help them move through the pain more effectively as they try to do that themselves. And that's Corey Dallas. Yeah, one of my first podcast episodes, I interviewed um, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Alan Tillotson, who's a 
Mm. Uh, he used to be, I believe, former president of the American Herbalist Guild. He's out in Delaware and um, has a, a great practice where he deals with a lot of neurologic issues. And we did an episode just on neuropathy. Mm. And he had mentioned um, Corey Dallas and even to the context that some research showing potential um, similar efficacy as the traditional medicines like gabapentin or Neurontin. And it was being studied out in the West Coast in the United States at, I believe, Stanford and looking at some of the properties of that plant. So I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. Now, you're talking about, um, initially at least, you've mentioned a couple formulas that are salves. When should someone consider going to a tincture? And even more basic, can you just explain to people who don't even really know what that means, what a tincture is? And then how, as an herbalist, you're kind of organizing in your mind if someone should take something internally versus topically? Yeah, so the simple question to answer is that a tincture is an hydroethanolic extraction of the plant, i.e. you take fresh or dry plant and then you add, generally speaking, water and alcohol, uh, water and or alcohol, uh, sorry, alcohol and or water to extract the medicinal qualities of the plant because of the... In, those two solvents are primarily used because they're the, the best solvents for what plants carry. And then given that it's alcohol, it's shelf-stable. And it's relatively concentrated compared to a cup of tea. So it's easy to transport and take uh, small amounts over an extended period of time and not have to worry about it spoiling, which one would for a tea. So those, that's the, what a tincture is and um, to some extent what its benefits are. They can also be used topically. Course. And then um, your next question was just how... just determining like when someone should consider taking herbs internally through the tincture or topically when when you're having pain or should you be doing both? Yeah, I think in some cases, depending on how, what the pain is, I, I feel like some people I've dealt with, it's very very rooted in a physical musculoskeletal area of the body that a salve would be far more beneficial than the internal. And so if a salve works in that case, great. The one thing that I would say might be a, uh, an exception to that is the juice of prickly pear fruit. And the juice of prickly pear fruit has probably been the most consistently phenomenal, I will say that, internal pain, musculoskeletal pain remedy that I've used. When I didn't even expect that that was its main you know, attribute initially is, uh, was looking at it as a, you know, restorative to metabolic function. But that gives an insight in the Chinese system where those two overlap in that. And it took a, a friend, uh, an acupuncturist friend to help me see this, that that's a liver yin tonic. Hmm. So liver yin is intimately connected with metabolic function. And you could say uh, lubricating of the sinews. And so it has more to do with ligaments and tendons than it does muscle. So certainly articulations yeah. of the spine and the entire skeletal system. So I've seen people recover from injuries and arthritic pain very, very quickly with small amounts of daily prickly pear fruit juice. Do you have to be concerned about any glycemic response if you take that routinely? Prior to a few weeks ago, I would have said no, but I have a client who supposedly has had a very, I couldn't recite it back to you, but a very rare and unusual internal procedure done. She's one of like two dozen people in the world and she gets like an immediate distinct drop 
in blood sugar drop. that she takes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, I'm just thinking about any concentrated juice. You worry a little bit about the sugar and, well, you know, the fruit sugar, what it cause. Prickly pear fruit and its pad uh, have about the lowest insulinemic index of any food on the planet. Wow. Yeah. So that's something that I've made into a fruit juice concentrate, and that's what's given me the ability to experiment with this um, with a lot of people. And I, I actually have a private client recently who his back pain, he told me, was completely gone after a few weeks of working together. There's, we did do some internal herbs as well, but that was a big, uh, a major intervention that we made was daily prickly pear juice. So why else may I want to give someone internal herbs for back pain? Could have to do with what the, what I feel the source of the pain is. Of course, there's non-spinal back pain it might have something to do with kidney function, right? So right. that would definitely warrant internal as well as topical use. I also look at things from a vitalist perspective in that it's very basic, hot, cold, moist, or dry. And I've noticed this um, year after year where I live in the Sonoran Desert, which is predominantly dry, but then this time of year, we get a lot of moisture and a lot of heat. So people tend to develop what traditionally would be called rheumatism, yeah. where there's a lot of liquid, damp accumulation around the joints. Could also be in the back, but tends to be more elbows, knees, wrists. And so giving internal herbs that would help clear the lymph and uh, drain stagnant liver function, um, maybe diuretics even, all of those could be helpful to relieve pain. And that could, maybe not the most common, but could be related to back pain. Another area where I've seen the internal use as well as topical become effective is upper back ten tension. Can definitely have a strong emotional or at least psychological component to it, and people preoccupied with thoughts and, and and worries or needing to perform at a certain level, whatever it may be, that it it breeds you know rigidity in the back that at a certain point in time you get to you, you can no longer sustain that and it's very painful. And so there's two herbs that I have in my repertoire that I think of. Uh, one is lobelia, and one is verbena. And lobelia was a classic herb used by the, the doctors of the 19th century. In fact, there was a country doc, you could call him, that developed his practice around lobelia. Lobelia was the cornerstone of his practice. Lobelia and cayenne, Samuel Thompson, in the early to mid-1800s. So that is a, um, essentially what lobelia does. It does more, but I might say primarily it, in, it induces the parasympathetic. So when this person is overwrought with tension, stress, psychological stress, their, yeah, their sympathetic uh, stress response is up, lobelia can shift that into parasympathetic. It seems like that should be a part of every prescription. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's definitely a remedy, um, you might say, to the pitfalls of our culture. Yeah, for sure. Although that would probably be the last thing people want. Right. right. <laughs> Cause it's not going to necessarily help performance. But um, yeah, so that, that kind of opens up a category or genre of herbs that I would say has probably grown substantially over the past decade, um, more so than any other category of herbs that I'm familiar with, and that would be nervines or nervines, however you like to say it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's 
more tonifying, more relaxing. Many herbs do both. That's the confusing thing for people. And, you know, herbs can, herbs are, I would say, intelligent in that they can resonate and correspond to the needs of the body such that when a relaxing effect is needed, then that's the effect is brought forward. When tonifying effect is needed, that's the effect is brought forward. It's kind of built into the herb's nature to be able to facilitate movement towards center for the body. Going back to your original question yeah. about the difference between pharmaceuticals and herbs, that's definitely at the top of the list there. Well, they're just more elegant. I mean, when I hear you talk in this language, and I've heard it before, and uh, it's just a more elegant description of, of how things can work. All right, I want to be respectful of your time. I have kind of one more category I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, before we close. Sure. In traditional medicine, I mean, when people come in in pain, our first thought is inflammation. So we're prescribing anti-inflammatory drugs, like over-the-counters, NSAIDs, non-steroidals, and prednisone. When I go through my uh, coursework and my training and understanding of maybe some botanical options or alternatives, kind of the classic ones discussed are turmeric, curcumin, uh, fish oil supplementation, boswellia, ginger. These are the types of things that come up. But I haven't encountered anything, and I'm just going to put you on the spot and you may not have an answer and that's okay. But is there anything in the herbal world that would be on par or similar to prednisone? Maybe beyond licorice, maybe licorice is there, but there's so many people that could benefit from even short courses of prednisone, but can't take it because of their type 2 diabetes or because it puts weight on or raises their blood pressure. So I've always kind of been on the hunt for a suitable alternative in that acute pain field, or just in general, just love to hear your, your thoughts on maybe your top two or three go-tos to reduce inflammation rapidly. Yeah. As a vitalist, that's really hard for me to contend with. Yeah. It's very reductionist. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I'm going to challenge myself to speak on it in this, uh, from this perspective. So what I hear you saying in part in that question is that what you've witnessed is that many of these things that are listed don't really serve under these under certain circumstances like the turmeric the fish oils the correct correct i mean i almost look at those i look at those as maybe good fertilizer for the body but i need a weed killer like in the moment mm. so there are there are some times where i can do a, a higher dose of turmeric and someone can feel a therapeutic benefit within a week or two but certainly i don't observe that with fish oil supplementation i don't observe that with ginger the, the only one that i might see that does a pretty good job rapidly is Boswellia. I've definitely seen some improvement with that in the short term. So I, I don't know if there's any others that I'm, I'm missing. Yeah, well, I think one thing that we're missing as a whole that would help restore people because we can't think that they've got a prednisone deficiency, right? <laughs> Correct, yeah. And I know you're not trying to claim that or, or you know, operating from that perspective. But you know, just to state the obvious, what are some of the traditional methods that were used that were in line with mobilizing the vital force within the individual? And, you know, unfortunately, like there's so few of those practices that are integrated into the, the modern field where I feel like that, you know, it's, it maybe is not as immediate and is not so simple and quick. Right, immediate, the same thing, but you know, could 
coax the individual's vital force back into the area that is evidently screaming, right? Screaming for their attention, you know, whatever it may be, whether it's how they position themselves in the chair at home and work and to and from, or the lack of mobility, what they're eating, all of the above, how they processed whatever they feel coming up in their body or don't absolutely don't feel for that matter. I realize that's not that's not what the general customer is looking for, asking for when they, they come in with that severely sharp pain. But I think, uh, unfortunately, someone like yourself, who's dedicated to helping people, is quickly painted into a corner when the impacts on the individuals become so severe that there, there really isn't a finger to fit that hole in the dike anymore. And I wonder if collectively, you know, culturally, if we're not, you know, inching and encroaching on that space where, you know, the, the effectiveness of, of this arsenal is, is weaning. Yeah, no, that, that's a great, and that's why I like an integrative approach. And as a DO, I feel really good that I can offer people treatments from kind of both aspects. So yes, someone comes in, I can give them an injection. I can put out the fire, but then I can ask questions like, or at least make statements like, look, your nerve is pinched in your back because it doesn't have enough space. If you really pay attention, that's your body's way of saying you don't have enough space in your life. Mm. What do you need to let go of in this moment to not only create space in your back, but in your life as a whole? So we don't have this cycle through every three months. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's Sometimes we don't take the time to ask that in medicine, in our um, brief time we have with people. But maybe the answer to my own question is that some of the things you're talking about can help people achieve that balance and stay balanced over time, while some of the other tools in my toolbox can help them get back on track when they fall. But they certainly can't, in isolation, keep them on the right track. And and I talk about that a lot with people that. You know, I I think at least in the world of orthopedics and musculoskeletal care from a medical side, I kind of feel like I'm the, you know, I'm I'm the bumper rails, like in the bowling alley when you have young kids and they put up those rails so the ball doesn't go in the gutter. Mm -hmm. Like I can keep you out of the gutter, but I can't bowl the ball for you in the right direction. And maybe some of these other tools, particularly herbalism, can be something that people learn over time to integrate into their own lifestyle. Certainly. And hydrotherapy would be the one that I would say that could have the most profound effect for people. And it's just a matter of what you have access to, right? You Mm -hmm. know, ideally that would be in nature, you know, and if somebody has hot and cold water to go back and forth between that can be exceptionally healing and revitalizing. That's one of the things directly I was inferring. uh, Are you talking about like hot, cold contrast? Bath. Yes. And people can do that in the shower yep. as well. It may not relieve an immediate, very sharp pain, but I think to pick up on what you said, you might be able to help someone take that edge off of a really sharp pain. I think that's a great way to maintain enhanced blood flow mm. in your body or to help reestablish proper blood flow in the body. And you do that with herbs and whatever else you're offering people in terms of exercises and mind-body awareness, then that I think cumulatively, you could really start moving, like all the Lilliputians moving, moving the giant one by one. You know, there's not, there isn't one Lilliputian trying to 
drag the giant by his toe. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, before I let you go, one final question. Uh, and on, again, I'm putting you on the spot. I, I didn't give you all these questions at a time. So no, it's great. I love it. As a man of nature, someone who's really connected, can you share with listeners maybe one or or two tips, habits that you have integrated into your life to help you stay vital, stay healthy, particularly over the last several years where I think the mental emotional burden across the world has, at least in my lifetime, obviously every generation has their challenges, but at least in my lifetime, I haven't seen anything like it. So what are some simple things that you think people who listen to this episode today can maybe start right away or at least consider looking into? Yeah, I appreciate that question. And and yes, I concur. It's been a very challenging past year, year and a half, frankly. But where I find solace personally is my retreat to nature. And that can look differently, certainly for different people. But where I think there's tremendous there's tremendous benefit awaiting us is where we stop and listen and we feel we are a part of nature nature is a part of us we are coaxed into a very narrow area of existence narrower and narrower according to the apps on your phone and whatever you're doing with technology throughout the day through your work in your vehicle in your home, everything is, quote, smart. And most people in urban environments have lost touch almost entirely, some, with the natural world around us. And what I found uh, years ago when I used to take people out, first started taking groups of people out on walks, I realized I didn't need to do much but just facilitate a journey. And if people were really there to experience what was there for them, they could experience more than I could ever create for them, that I could ever package up and offer mm. them because yeah. it's their engagement with with the natural world. So to wrap it up, I think being being present in a way that inspires you, but maybe also challenges you to be um, go for a walk alone in nature and talk to the trees, talk to the ocean, talk to the prairie, wherever you're at, you know, let Give yourself an opportunity to let some thoughts off your chest or simply feel what's out there for you. And if that's difficult for you, that's diagnostic. So it's diagnostic of lack of mobility in that aspect of your humanness. And that lack of mobility in that aspect of your humanness will spread out into other aspects. So when they say, you know, pick your pick your weakness and focus on that, you know, enhance your weaknesses to balance out with your strengths. There's a very clear sign that that's something for a person, you know, if they don't feel anything or if they have a really difficult time trying to relate to nature, that's a, that's fantastic diagnostic information. Oh, I love that. And, you know, the, the science nerd in me says there's also good scientific data that being out in nature positively affects your white blood cells, your immune system, you know, culturally, it's been called grounding, forest bathing. And if you don't believe what he's saying, all you got to do is spend a weekend at the beach. I mean, folks, I don't know anyone who doesn't love the beach. And for me, when I'm at the beach in the nature, in the ocean water, my entire nervous system is different. I feel it. I feel more connected. 
Um, I, I just feel like a totally different person. And uh, I love that tip. I think that is a tip, if you're listening, that costs you nothing, that you can start today and reap the benefits right away. So thank you for sharing that. There's, um, on that note, I'm just going to share some quick words. There's something I pulled from from a film in, um, in Ireland. And uh, let me see if I have it here. I th- thought I had it close at hand. Just give me a second. You're already out in nature. Uh, you know, we're recording this. Um, I'm seeing John over video here, and he's he's in his yard, and he's got his. I don't know if that's a pear tree or what that is. Pomegranates hanging behind oh, me. Delicious, love it. <laughs> maybe maybe you can see some of the grapes too. They yeah. They've, okay, so um, this is from a man named Patrick McCormick in the west of Ireland from a film called The Silver Branch. It says. I take a look at my home life at times, you know, the dark areas, the vulnerable areas. When you walk on the rock, be in the woods, or sit by a stream, you can talk to that stream. You can talk to the woods, and you can talk to the trees, and you can you can leave your foot on the earth. For me, it's to let nature work on you. I think that's the essence, how to be in the world. To find your place in the world is to let nature work on you. Just to be and be part of, be part of the Silver Branch singing. That's what I wanted to share. And thank you uh, for sharing that. That's terrific. Inspire everyone to let nature work on them. Love it. Final take home point. So thank you so much for your time today. Um, I think we covered a lot of material. I really just wanted people more than just getting an idea of a specific herb for a problem is just to understand your passion for how we can have a relationship with nature, with plant medicine, and that it is a whole nother path to explore. Um, I encourage you uh, to look at the show notes. Um, and then, you know, he does have, he does sell uh, his products online and uh, we'll have something in the show notes for people who are interested in looking at that and, and links to that in the show notes as well. And th- they do work. I've ordered some of them myself. John, I, I also have, we didn't talk about it, but I purchased your, um, the salve you have for like skin cuts and bruises mm. and, and irritation. And that stuff is like, it's like gold particularly when you have kids, it's awesome. It takes the tears yeah. away. So uh, definitely Great. very, very high quality stuff. And um, I look forward Thanks, to connecting Andy. with you further. Um, I'm hopeful I can be out your way in 2023 and, and love to talk more. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, Sanjeev. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lockia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.